This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. here who will break it all down why how who what when where let me welcome she is the host of those jeans and she has on a shirt that says in those jeans g-e-n-e-s let me welcome the one and only janina jeff welcome thank you thank you you for having me come on step up to the mic janina (laughs) can you hear me yes barely but there you go okay all right i do you get the name in those jeans i well so because of the reference in those jeans, feeling tanny, feeling tanny, give me, give me any more room for me. In those jeans, yeah, that's genuine. Yeah, she's asking me if I. <laughs> well, some people don't get it. Yeah, especially young folks. They're like, what? What, what? young? What's young? Um, <laughs> born in the nineties. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> right, we had a running joke that's going to be apparently running for a while for now. A while. This is going to be fun. I can't wait. All right. How did how does one become? I've never met a geneticist, mm. so this is good. Oh, Gina Page actually. She's not a geneticist, though. Mm. She has something called African ancestry. So we're mm. we're we 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 rock with her. Um, mm. And but tell me tell me your story. How did you become a gen- geneticist? Yeah. So uh, I did undergrad at Spelman College. Got a degree in biology, and ironically, genetics was the only class that I got an A in. <laughs> I had a lot of fun at Spelman, um, and I also worked in a genetics lab. And then when I went on to Vanderbilt, I was like, I really don't want to work in a bench lab, and I really don't want to work on mice, and I really want to work on something that's connected to the community. So I joined a human genetics department. And at that time, they had no black folks. They had population geneticists. They had people studying black folks, but there were no black folks. Pause for a second. They had people studying us how? Studying our genetic background, right? So studying... Like Henrietta Lacks, like that? Um, that So so Henrietta Lacks is more of kind of like cell biology, right? And looking at cancer. But like from our our genomes, and we're talking about our DNA that was with us since we're born. And we're studying patterns in our DNA with diseases and and traits like height, freckles, skin color, skin texture... I mean, not texture, hair texture. Um, But I was really connected to it because it was a direct link to the community. And I was always thinking about how can my research touch people who look like me and that I know. And so I was attracted to the human genetics department. I was the first black graduate student at the human genetics department. So the first one to get a Ph.D. in human genetics um, from Vanderbilt that was African-American, which is this is 2012. So it's it's, it's an exciting thing, but also somewhat of a sad thing. Um, the first. The first. In 2012. Yeah. Ever. In the history of this country. <laughs> Not at this, Vanderbilt. At Vanderbilt. Right. At Vanderbilt. And it, it was a new program, but I was I was really excited to do research that was impacting people that I knew. And then also I could start to make some correlations with the with information that I knew. And more specifically about the podcast, you know, I've really gotten into how can we use black culture to teach genetics? Because we're excluded out of the conversations of how we can use it for our futures. The narrative we told is, we're told is, let's think about our past. Let's think about our genetic ancestry from our past. And that's a painful past, and we should understand it. But how can we also, you know, really understand genetics and use it as a tool for our future? So break down. I know there's like the helix and there's the, the, all of this, right? Double helix. Her earrings, yeah. Yeah. Oh, her I, didn't, are... I didn't see him. I didn't see. Okay, <laughs> on brand. On yes, brand. Yes, she sure. is. Yes, she is. And we're talking with Janina Jeff, and of course, uh, Cena Gaznavi is still here. Uh, the podcast is Those Genes. We 
why in those jeans in those jeans i'm sorry and you can follow her at in those jeans pod g-e-n-e-s what are jeans yeah. how, do, how, do, how do they work what are, why why should we care so let's start with the genome right and yeah what is so dna so we have this thing called dna it has four letters a c t and g and i kind of think about this as like a recipe book so you have a recipe book that really much like pretty much is telling the body how to function and your genes, the letters of A, C, T, and G, come together in a certain sequence of those would be considered gene, let's say, you know, A, B, C, D, right? Um, or let's say um, Black Girl Magic, so BGM, the BGM gene, right? And it has a sequence of A, T, Cs, and Gs. And that is what makes up the gene. The gene. Now, we have 25,000 genes in our entire genome, around 25,000 genes. And so you hear people say, like, oh, well, I don't have the gene for that, or you have the gene for that, or we have the gene for that in our family. And it's really interesting how we use that language because in, in actuality, all humans have the 99.9% of the same genome, right? So we all have the same genes. Now, what the difference is, is that within that sequence, so going back to the black girl magic gene, within that sequence of the gene, you might have one of those letters that's different between me and you. And so there might be 0.1% that explain the differences. So we're more, like Maya Angela would say, we're more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. So we are very similar. All people, not all just people. black people. Not, not just, just, yeah. All people, 99.9% of us. Yeah. More like, yeah. So are, all the differences in us just come from that point one percent. That point one percent. That's God, crazy, that and we're nuts. fighting over that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Silly. And it's worth a lot of money. We're furious wait, over oh, that. Oh, wait, back up. She said it's worth a lot of it's money. It's worth a lot how, of money. How so, Janina? Okay, so you know, one of the things I like to educate the community on is that African genomes are the most varied genomes of any human population. And that's a beautiful thing, Why right? Is that? Because we're the first modern day humans. Mm. So modern humans evolved out of Africa. And the first modern day human we call her mama mama mitochondria, right? And we can trace I like that. Yeah. We can mama trace mama mitochondria. It wasn't white Jesus that birthed. No. <laughs> no. Did I miss be. that? Jesus couldn't birth because Jesus didn't have a uh, he didn't have ovaries. No ovaries. Got it. How can he birth? Got it. Got it. Mama mitochondria. Mama mitochondria. So if you think about it, our genomes, the oldest genomes, have really learned how to survive. We figured out this human survival thing. So we have, in terms of those little letters and those genes, we have more of those letters than any other human population. Now, why is that worth a lot of money? Well, if you want to create a drug target, if you want to understand how you know people respond to drugs, you want to understand why people develop certain diseases, why you might look one way or another way, it all lies within those changes. So we have the most changes, which means there's a huge you know urgency from a lot of companies to get access to African genomes because we have like the answers essentially. So when we talk about access to our genomes, I, I think of Tuskegee. Mm-hmm. I think of the radiation experiment. I think of the sterilizations. I, th- I think of all of the horrific ways in which even even during enslavement, the the, the gynecologists that would um, experiment on women without anesthesia. I think of all of the things we don't know because it was never chronicled, right? That was done on plantations in secret, right? Um, and what what's the manifestation of this today? And how do how do we how do we control our our DNA? How do we control this, the narrative around our DNA? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. So, I mean, the first thing we need to do is understand what the power is, right? Because I think if you understand the power, you might say, hmm, 
do I, you know, submit my DNA for a genetic ancestry test with the risk that that DNA can be sold to another company with the risk that I might not get any type of benefit from it, that I might not be compensated from it. So uh, 23... That's what happened to Henrietta Lacks. Oh, yeah. Well, so Henrietta Lacks, you know, her, her cervical cancer cells were taken from her and used without her consent. Right. And so to this day, Henrietta Lacks, we call these uh, the cells that are named after her are called HeLa cells. And I talk about this double consciousness that I have where on, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois coined this double consciousness as a psychosocial divide um, to explain two opposing black experiences. And I, I experience it. I call her geneticist. You know, I I, I so Janina and geneticists. Yes. I experienced this because from the science side, like when I was at Spelman, I heard of HeLa cells. We all knew about HeLa cells. And then once I like started to, you know, once I was, I think my freshman, uh, towards the end of Spelman, I heard about Henrietta Lacks. And I'm like, well, how did I not know that HeLa stand from Henrietta Lacks's, the two first two letters of her first and last name? How did I not know that? And I felt kind of, you know, I was sickened, really, because now I don't know how to engage with genetics, right? Because I am a black woman, so I am, you know, a representation, a manifestation of Henrietta Lacks. At the same time, I'm a scientist and understand the value of the genome. So to get to your question, you know, how do we prevent another Henrietta Lacks from happening? We have to understand everything that could happen with our genomes, right? So let's walk us through it. Walk us through it. Um, Cena's still here. He's like pensively. Like, I love this. Deep. Yeah, this is great. Uh, Janina Jeff is her name. Her podcast is In Those Jeans Pod, and you can go to In Those Jeans Pod on the Twitter sphere, right? Okay. Social media. Social media. Okay. Janina, what? Oh, sorry, Dora. I'm just asking a question. You're gonna ask a question. I just already asked. The you question. asked. Oh, you're gonna break it down. She. I hopefully. You're gonna. Okay. Well, in your breakdown, can you tell me if there's a gene for a hairy back? You just let me know. <laughs> Just naturally incorporate that, okay? Go Is there ahead. one? Well, Go let's ahead. answer his question. He's, he's, he wants to figure out how to splice that out. I want but to crisper my hairy you back want to crisper out. Your hair, but I think I think the hairy back is there to protect you from ticks and fleas. <laughs> ticks and fleas, or something. No, but you bring up a good point, and and it's the point that I want to talk about actually, because you know one of the things, and particularly in the black community. When we talk about our traits and our characteristics, they're always associated with something that's negative, something that's not aligned with beauty. Let's talk about our hair. Hey, I'm so excited to welcome Bombas to my podcast. These bomb ass socks, you know I call them the bomb ass socks because they're the best socks in the world, but also they're the most conscious sock makers in the world. Did you know that socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters? Well, Bombas is on a mission to change that. They created the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. And for every pair you buy, Bombas donates to someone in need. These are special socks designed with comfort, innovations, colors, patterns, lengths, and styles. Bombas are perfect for the whole family. They even have kid sizes. And when you get your hands on a pair of Bombas socks, or better yet, your feet, your feet will thank you. They've donated more than 20 million pairs because for every pair you purchase, they donate to someone in need. These are made with super soft natural cotton. Every pair is designed with an art support, a seamless toe, a cushioned footbed that's supportive but not too thick. They even have new merino wool socks designed to be breathable, dry, and never itchy with just the right amount of thickness and with tons of colors and patterns and lengths and styles. Bombas also makes the perfect gift. So go get you a pair because every pair you buy, somebody will thank you out there and save 20% on your first purchase when you shop at bombas.com slash Karen. That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash 
Karen, K-A-R-E-N, save 20%, go get those socks today. Right? People, you know, everyone's like, oh, you have, people like to say you have Native American ancestry in the black community, you got Indian in your family, right? Which is an explanation of having Native American ancestry. And what it really is, is a way for us to explain, you know, characteristics that we don't see as black, right? Or characteristics that are closer to whiteness, high cheekbones, long hair, Mm -hmm. silky hair, right? But let's think about why we have these characteristics. And to your point in the hairy back, they're all a story about human survival, right? And so with our hair, there are probably genetic signatures in our hair. And the reason why whatever climate that we, you know, were in, right, and we've evolved out of to protect us. So we're actually working with a hair geneticist. She's getting a PhD at Penn State. Her name is Tina. And Tina was telling me about, you know, about one, how no one is studying black hair. And if you look at the genetics of curl pattern, they just even if you go on twenty three, like website, a double helix. But they don't do they don't do coily hair. I don't mm. see four C. I don't see you know like we don't we know, in the black community we have a whole different you know pattern. We got four A three A. But even that is a designation made up by somebody else. Exactly because no two hairs are the same. The texture in, in the black community. It, Jasmine guy came over and felt Cena's hair, and they have similar hair. <laughs> Jasmine guy's mom is white. But among us, um, Ethiopians have silky hair. They're Africans, mm-hmm. Somalians, Sudanese, the Eritreans. There are Africans with straightish hair. Exactly, and and exactly, and, and, and with no European, with no European ancestry, right? And so there's there's differences in in our hair, just like any other human population is really a story about the environment that we're from, right? Really a story about how, you know, these things are used to help and protect us. And so perhaps our short, you know, short, perhaps short, tightly curled hair prevents us from, you know, body temperature or keeps our body temperatures low. If we live in, if we live close to the equator, you know, like, I mean, so like you said, those definitions are negative definitions that have been created, particularly to, you know, harm black women to create divisiveness around what black women define as beauty, right? Because we all know having looser curl patterns in the black community is associated with, you know, cute, cuteness. But what about if we change that narrative, right? And say, you know, actually having tightly coiled hair is a representation of survival. It's a beautiful story about how our ancestors survived, right? And it brought us here. And so like we we have to start changing those narratives. And to your point, I like to think that all, all genetic, you know, all genetic variants that arise are explanation for survival. So sickle cell, for example, having sickle cell genotype, you know, prevents you from developing malaria. So there're always these kind of like balancing acts of things that are helpless for survival and the side effects of that, right? That could right. be negative. It's negative when you don't have malaria as a, a potential death sentence in America. Mm-hmm. So having the sickled cell, which would protect you in, in African places where malaria might have been rampant, your body adapted for that. Here, it's going to give you so many problems that it's you know one of the most debilitating things. And it's germane to African people of African descent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 866-801-8255. I want to leave it open for people to call and ask questions. We have a geneticist in the building. So if you have a question about genes, the genome, DNA, and all that other stuff, Janina, Jeff is her name. Uh, we actually do have some calls. I'm going to go to Delaware and welcome in Dean, who is asking about sickle cell. That's why I'm bringing him in. Hey, Dean. Dean in Delaware. Hey, Karen. How's it going? Good. I love the show, and uh, thank you for doing that Stephen A. podcast. You're welcome. But um, I know I've been badgering you about that. 
But I got a question for the geneticist. Are you aware of this cure that they have using CRISPR uh, for sickle cell anemia? Wow. Did you hear about that? I have heard about it. Um, I know I have. Can I do... you pause for a second? Because we start off the show with Cena talking about CRISPR, which I'd never heard of until today. <laughs> And now we're in this whole... Sp- this is so weird. Okay. <laughs> Full circle. Yes. Go ahead. So tell us. Um, yeah, so I have heard about it. Um, I don't know a lot about it, to be honest with you. I will say that it's something that excites me, though. Uh, one of the things about sickle cell that is, you know something that I find traumatizing is that when we look at a closely related disease, cystic fibrosis, it receives $220 million in research funding, whereas sickle cell disease receives $65 million in research funding. The only difference, so sickle cell disease affects 70,000 more individuals in the U.S. compared to cystic fibrosis. But the distinguishing characteristic between those two diseases is that sickle cell diseases affects African descendants. The only difference. So it's really exciting. So we're talking about donations or are we talking about government funding? We're talking about government funding. We're talking about, um, you you have a lot of uh, outside funding, like commercial funding from pharmaceutical companies and foundations and so forth. Um, And you also have personal fundings, right? You have these nonprofit initiatives. And a lot of that, I mean, there's a lot. That's a really complicated topic. But to his question, I don't know a lot about it, but I am excited that the research is now catching up because we were talking about 70,000 additional people are affected by sickle cell disease compared to things like cystic fibrosis that are funded, you know, 27 times more per patient. So that's critical. So that means that we also need to start to um, participate in our own survival and our own success. And maybe somebody listening needs to start a sickle cell fund, much the way we did this Susan G. Coleman and all this stuff. Like, let's start getting the funding in so that no one has to suffer from this. And if there is a cure, let's, you know, manifest and, and, and spread it. Like, let's let's talk about it more. Uh, and I'm glad you're here today to have these, these to, to get to that point. Yeah. Like, what can we do with our genomes? Right. Imagine if you knew that. Imagine if you knew that sickle cell funding was so low. And you were like, I want to participate. I want to do my part, right? Let, I want to be empowered to give this gift of my genome to an initiative to, to cure sickle cell or other diseases, hypertension. Pick your favorite disease that is affecting us at higher levels because the sample numbers aren't there. So the reason why we don't know the answer to a lot of these questions is the sample number is not there. Why is the sample number not there? Because in Henrietta Lacks, we don't trust, we don't trust folks. I'm not about to give anybody my DNA, right? Um, but how do we build that trust? Because it has to happen, right? We have to understand that power. So if I now have the power of my genome, and every time somebody uses my genome, one, I get paid for it, right? Mm-hmm. Because I shouldn't be paying you to sell my data, right? So I get paid for it. And then the second thing is that I get to make the decision on who uses my data. Now, we can argue back and forth about that, you know, but I might be more inclined, just like cystic fibrosis, one of the reasons why there's more research funding is because the folks who are affected have more money. Right. Okay? So they're giving their money to sickle cell disease because that's more important to them. Just, if so, I have my genome, just, yeah. if I mean, I'm sorry, cystic fibrosis. If I have my genome and my genome and I want to say, hey, I want to contribute, me and my whole family, we want to contribute to sickle cell disease. We don't have any money, but we can contribute our DNA, Right. 
And but maybe we have to have trusted people on the other side. Like we have you. to have trusted people on so the other side. So we need more people who are listening to go into this field as well, because she shouldn't have been the first to graduate with a PhD from Vanderbilt, and there shouldn't be the first in, at Penn State, and it shouldn't be the first. This should be a pointed place that we go. I keep asking this question, what's our thing? Mm-hmm. This is about our survival, so we should be pushing our kids and our grandkids into these spaces, not just for their own financial success, but for our progeny 